Hello everyone, this is Dr. Michael Wald. Thank you so much for joining me for the very first uh, one hour presentation as part of my 12 or possibly 13 session Masters uh, in Nutrition and General Health course. The reason I decided to provide this presentation series is because I found that the level of intelligence, the level of passion for natural health and nutrition of my listeners on the Ask uh, the Blood Detective Radio Show on PRN is just um, un unbelievable. It's just too much of an opportunity for me to have a conversation with you, a virtual conversation with you about topics that you're interested in at the level to which you want knowledge. This is not a basic course, meaning that it's got some big words in it, uh, some wonderful concepts, but it is geared for everyone, as are each of the different courses that will follow in this master series. So you can jump in to the series at any time. Okay, so uh, today's presentation is on basics of healthy eating, uh, also maximizing energy, memory, and quality of life. Uh, for those who uh, do not know me, this is your first time uh, joining the show. Again, thank you. This is a, a temporary format, and we'll see how how much more I use the Zoom form, uh, format presentation for um, other radio shows as we move forward. So please let me know your input uh, at my email, which is info at blooddetective.com. That's info at blooddetective.com. And as I mentioned, my name is Dr. Michael Wald, and I live and uh, practice in Chappaqua, New York, which is located about an hour north of uh, New York City. <clears throat> so uh, let's get started with this presentation. To begin with, when you are thinking about figuring out the best diet for you, or um, maybe it's a, a relative, a friend, family, someone that you love or care about, you want to make sure that you have the right healthcare provider. Now, since I'm providing this presentation, you should know a little bit about me. So I'll just quickly go over this list so that when you look at other uh, nutritional type of uh, health professionals for any health topic or any health goal that you have, you really must need to know what their education uh, uh, is about and how extensive it is and doesn't match your needs. So I was originally a doctor of chiropractic. I'm a second generation doctor of chiropractic. My father was a chiropractor and a nutritionist and he really instilled in me this passion for natural health and I can't thank him enough. So thank you, dad. The other thing is I went to medical school. I did earn an MD diploma. So I have both a traditional background and a holistic background. That simply means that when I meet with my patients, I'm a, I, can, I can provide them a greater wealth of knowledge than those who do not have that background. I have a master's in nutrition from the University of Bridgeport. I actually attended the school. Uh, I have a PhD in holistic philosophy. I'm a sports nutritionist. I have a certified a dietitian nutrition education and certification uh, by New York State. And New York State also recognizes another designation, nutritionist, certified nutrition specialist, or CNS. I am also I hold that degree. Uh, in the state of Connecticut, I can practice acupuncture. I'm a physical trainer so that I know how to instruct people with proper exercise relative to their health problems. And I am double board certified in nutrition. So again, we're not all the same, um, those of us that are practicing nutrition. So before I get into the details, let me first uh, give you a brief disclaimer. The information obviously that I'm talking about today uh, is not based uh, on you. It's not uh, for you to go out and practice necessarily. And if you do, that of course is at your own risk. This conversation is about educating you, and uh, then uh, any use or misuse of this condition uh, would be your responsibility. 
So why are we even talking about a healthy diet? Who cares? Um, I've, I've met with many individuals that say, I don't even think about diet. You know, I'll probably live long because my grandma may live to uh, 98. And they'll often say this to me and they'll wonder what my response is. And I'll say, well, you're not your Aunt May. So um, it does tell us that there is a large amount of ignorance out there in the general population. Clearly, none of you listening to this talk are uh, completely absent of some, um, some knowledge and experience in natural health and uh, healthy ways of eating. So that's a plus as we start here. And I want to invite each of you to, to listen to this presentation in a particular way because how we listen actually determines what we get inside, what lands inside. Now, what I mean by that is if I say to you, I want you to listen to this one hour presentation as if the life of someone you love and perhaps yourself literally depends upon it. So when you listen to this talk, you're probably gonna gain a lot more knowledge that's practical for your needs because you're listening in a particular way. I'm presenting this talk as if all of your lives depended on the information herein because it allows me to present it in a much more honest uh, and practically uh, and practical uh, perspective. In other words, it's gotta be doable and uh, it's gotta mean something. So number one, a healthy diet has certain characteristics, at least that I have found. And they would include, in addition to, to other things, uh, look at the bullet number one here on this particular slide, it allows for reduced disease risk. If we have reduced disease risk, we tend to live longer. And if not in absolute years, we tend to live longer during what's called the non-disability stage of life. That means living well without comorbid conditions and not severe limitations so that you can enjoy life. Any worthwhile diet, and uh, we'll talk about the word diet later, whether or not we should really be calling it that, but for these purposes for right now, we're gonna use the word diet. A healthy diet plan allows for increased health span. I wanted to say this again because a lot of people miss this. Many times I'll say to people, look, you know, if you eat well and you manage your lifestyle, you're likely going to live longer. And they'll say, well, I'm not really interested in living longer. I'll say, well, how about better? And they'll say, well, that I'm interested in. That's the health span. Many more years living within this span that is extremely well lived. If we live beyond that and from here forward, we have lots of degenerative disease, it's almost not worth living. At least it's not ideal. We want to be able to participate in life without severe limitations, both mentally, emotionally, and physically. A healthy diet would also delay the onset of chronic disease, thus extending life quality and health span. So chronic diseases such as diabetes, various autoimmune diseases, whether they be lupus or scleroderma or some type of mixed connective tissue disease, uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, uh, Graves' disease, um, diabetes type 1 and 2 are also autoimmune, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, the list goes on and on, uh, cardiovascular disease, um, obesity, uh, overweight, uh, and again, there's many more uh, conditions that are considered chronic are very, very prevalent throughout the United States and, and the world, but particularly in the United States. And uh, if we have the proper uh, eating habits, we should have, uh, ex we will experience during a lifestyle uh, fewer of these conditions. But look, we're all going to die of something at some time, but how we get there is important. And we do have a lot of control over that. We may not control everything, but we do have some major control over that. And that's what the purpose of this hour is going to explore. 
And the fourth bullet here is allows one to participate fully in life. Again, what else is there? If you can participate fully, if you're clear-headed, you can love fully, you can engage life the way that you want to. Uh, as a 55-year-old man, I was 55 February 9th, I, I run many miles on trails, I do uh, karate, I lift uh, weights, I have no real limitations there. If I want to jump, uh, jump down some stairs or climb up a rope, I can do it. Um, now, will I be able to do that uh, when I'm 90? We'll see, but that certainly is the goal. So that's another important factor, by the way, which I didn't include in this talk, but I want to mention it here now is that it's important to know what your goals are when it comes to improving your health because that helps set the stage for what your diet should be. If your diet doesn't support what your goals are, then what's it for? So if you're sort of thinking you're having this healthy diet, but you don't really know why other than you think it's okay to do that, you should do that. What if it was because you wanted to be able to go bowling with your grandkids uh, and you can't now, and, and if a healthy diet was present in your life, you might be able to. Or again, just walking up and down stairs and being able to breathe and not be out of breath and have aches and pains, things like that. So it's important to clarify what it is you want this healthy diet for. I commonly ask my patients to write a list of clarifications. What are the things in your life that you would like to improve mentally, emotionally, and in every other way? And then we would discuss how a healthy diet plan could help fulfill on those things. So when you, when you act uh, within your food choices, you are motivated not by the momentary, oh, I have to eat this or I have to not eat that, but you're motivated more by the big picture of what, your life, what you want your life to be like, what a healthy diet might make available to you. With that sort of, I can only tell you for myself, with that sort of goal, this, this goal that is so compelling uh, in terms of the quality of my life to travel and to go to Italy if I want to, or Iceland or Alaska, or wherever it is, I want to be physically fit enough to enjoy it. So I'm okay taking my vitamins with that goal in mind. I'm okay uh, eating a plant-based diet that's been modified to my blood chemistry because it's fulfilling on such a compelling, uh, compelling future and, and goals. And then as we move down the list here, we need a food plan that's reasonably easy to implement and continue so that short and long-term goals are not only reached, but they're maintainable. If I start you out on a food plan that is just uh, too difficult, it's, it's unrealistic, uh, but it's, let's say it's um, effective, uh, it'll only be effective for as long as you can do it. And then people blame themselves and that gets them in a whole head trip about what they can't do and all these self-esteem issues come up when really it was the food plan suggested often by practitioners that are just unrealistic. So it's important to start where you are and emphasize the things in your food plan and in your, new, and in your uh, lifestyle that, uh, that you are already doing that if expanded upon could help us fit the definition of a healthy diet and then Subtle changes are made from that point on so you can adapt both uh, mentally, emotionally, and physically to doing some things a little differently than you're doing them now for the purpose of reaching that compelling health potential that you want. As you move down the list to the next bullet, possibly the healthy diet should not be harmful to the earth. So, or as at least as, as harmful as, as, as minimally as we can make that. So eating lower down in the food chain might be important to you. Uh, Plant-based foods, uh, fruits, vegetables, grains, nuts, seeds, and then as you move up the food chain, less fish, 
you know, is cow meat, red meat, all of that. Um, chicken turkey would be, and you hear that train on the Metro North here in uh, Chappaqua. Uh, so we want to start with a, with a basic healthy plan and then adjust it for your exact needs. And then the last bullet on this page, last but not least, is maximizing healing time, uh, reduce the risk of injury, improve clear-headedness, energy, and your function. So these are clearly important criteria for a healthy diet. Now, I wanted to mention this My Food Pyramid diet uh, sort of model. Every one of us is familiar with uh, the food pyramid uh, that the, uh, the governmental guidelines have been based on for decades upon decades at this point. And there are some good things in that plan, but I wanted you to be aware of it because Whenever I'm speaking with my patients, for example, and they ask me a question about, let's say, what, what's the best diet, Dr. Waldo say? And I'll say, well, let's first talk about what medicine thinks or considers the best diet, and then I'll let you know what my opinion is. Because that way people have a baseline of what is well accepted, the governmental food pyramid for what that's worth, and then they know what we might be doing a little differently. So this My Pyramid Food Guideline approach uh, is a system that uh, recommends food for um, different individuals based upon uh, their uh, age, based upon their sex, and some activity level. And these were uh, refitted, uh, I would say, uh, by Harvard uh, in 2005. There have probably been more recent uh, changes to it too, but they're not appreciable. They're pretty much what I'm talking about here. And uh, what they found that if people were to model the My Pyramid food patterns, which we'll discuss in a minute what those actually are, it leads to dramatic improvements uh, in health. But when the Harvard researchers looked at the actual consumption of foods by American adults compared to adults that were uh, eating consistently with the My Pyramid food pattern, they found that um, the people uh, without the guidelines of the My Pyramid food line were experiencing all the chronic degenerative diseases that we've mentioned earlier, plus many, many more. So there is definitely some positive to being mindful of the guidelines of the My Pyramid uh, food recommendations uh, by Harvard. But we know that a serious limitation of that plan, although in general is better than eating the standard American diet, which is the fried fatty foods, white bread, gluten, all that GMO stuff, um, could be dramatically uh, improved if they were mindful of my pyramid, but it is not based on more specifics of the individual, which we'll talk about in a second. So on this page, you'll see, we're talking about the basics of the food pyramid, that um, eating more fruits and vegetables and whole grains is generally recommended. And all of us, even in the natural health injury, uh, industry, we tend to have a more strict um, notion and guidelines for what healthy food intake is, but they generally are consistent, certainly, with eating more fruits and vegetables. And when it comes to the grains, well, lots of us tend to avoid at least gluten and possibly other grains for various reasons. And uh, for individuals that have intolerances or allergies to uh, grains, then that would be a good idea to eliminate them. Or perhaps if you wanted to reduce the acidity of your overall diet, but that's a whole other conversation we're gonna have in one of our upcoming shows soon enough. We want a healthy food plan to be very low in saturated fat and trans fats and cholesterol. It's saturated fats in the diet that raise cholesterol and cardiovascular disease still is the number one cause of death in men and women. So very important to be mindful of that. We wanna limit 
limit sweets and salts uh, on my website at uh, drmichaelwald.com. If you were to search the search bar on the homepage for, let's say, sugar, you'll come up with a radio show that I did called Sugar, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which talks about how blood sugar problems can cause so much disease and how there are many other factors in the life uh, and one's lifestyle that cause problems with blood sugar that have nothing to do with blood sugar. I'll give you one major example, air pollution. Air pollution, when you breathe it in, finds its way in part into the, uh, the pancreas and it affects adversely uh, insulin secretion and sensitivity. So toxins in the pancreas can cause inflammatory changes which cause blood sugar levels to rise. So many people that I'm uh, dealing with with blood sugar problems, they never have thought that uh, anything beyond sugar causing sugar problems. Even stress hormones like cortisol change your sugar. So I would advise that you listen to that show. And salt. So we've been aware of salt as an issue, particularly relative to hypertension, for many decades now. Um, in actuality, only about 10% of the American population is salt sensitive. If you have a person sitting down for 10 minutes and you take their pulse and then you put salt on their mouth, if they have an increase in pulse that's fairly dramatic, you know that they are part of that 10% of the salt sensitive individuals. But the rest of us can have salt. Of course, there's limits, and that is determined based on individual uh, conversation that I would have with patients. But we do need salt, sodium chloride, uh, for chloride, for example, as a raw material to make a hydrochloric acid, which is what we need in our stomach to absorb things. Uh, and, and salt is one of the sources of um, uh, chloride. And then uh, we also need sodium uh, for adrenal gland health. And for those of you who don't know what the adrenal gland, here's a quick anatomy lesson. We have two kidneys. The adrenals are about the size of your thumbs relative to your kidneys, which are around the size of your, your, your fist right here. And the adrenals are there. You have two of them. And when you experience either mental, emotional, physical, electromagnetic, toxic, you name the stress, it goes through those adrenal glands, which sets the stage for how the body responds to that. A certain amount of stress is needed for living, but too much stress is known as distress um, which is a toxic stress. We do want to be mindful of a caloric intake, more or less, um, with individuals for a healthy diet. Generally speaking, the higher the total calories, the more unhealthy the diet is, even if it's all healthy foods low down in the food chain. So we want to minimize caloric intake and have a very high nutritionally dense intake. And of course, we want to be mindful of controlling uh, portion sizes. Um, People do tend to eat too much, so putting less food on the plate, taking your time when eating the food, really chewing your food, really tasting it, not drinking um, any more than just a few sips of water during your meal if you have to drink it all, because fluids do dilute, dilute the uh, stomach acid uh, for several minutes, which can impact uh, adversely your digestion of this wonderful diet that you want to begin. And um, let's go to the next slide here. Now, when I mentioned the my, my Pyramid Food Guidelines by the um, United States government, they were mindful enough to realize that different cultures might need variations in their basic healthy food suggestions. So, for example, if we're saying that um, we want to eat low down on the food chain, uh, again, uh, plant-based foods, uh, fruits, vegetables, and then also nuts, grains, seeds, if you're of Asian descent, you will have different choices of foods than someone who's of just uh, the Amer American descent uh, or if someone who is of Asian descent. 
So it's important when I work with people in order to start where they are, given their familiarity with um, eating habits, is to look at what they're eating currently, emphasizing those things that are, that are consistent with the healthy aspects of the My Pyramid plan and many other factors, which we'll talk about in a moment, which uh, I use to determine how to develop a healthy food plan for people. Okay, so there are aspects of you can see on this chart. We all have heard about the Mediterranean diet and how there's less cardiovascular disease and possibly less cancer in um, populations that eat consistent with Mediterranean style diet. Now, that's going to be good for certain people. But I can tell you from over 30 years of experience that I have people that are vegans, others that are, are, are macrobiotic, others that eat Mediterranean diets, and they are loaded with chronic disease. So we wouldn't expect a good pair of shoes to fit correctly on everyone. So we need to modify these uh, important healthy aspects of how one is eating to fit a person's individual needs, to fit your needs, to fit my needs. And in case I forget to mention it later, even once you figure out your ideal food plan and it's easy to do and you know, you're just doing great. You know, uh, given your exercise, for example, let's say you decide you're going to you know, run three miles uh, you know, every other day. Uh, now that's gonna change what your food intake should be. Most people don't even think about adjusting their food plan relative to their athleticism or their fitness goals. So as a marathon runner and someone who lifts weights, if I want any results from lifting weights, which is to shape my body a certain way, to have more lean mass, I'm gonna need more protein. It's an oversimplification, but that's definitely true. Now, if I continue to run and lift weights and don't eat enough protein to maintain my muscle mass, then the running is gonna make me super, super thin, which it does, uh, thinner than I wanna be. So I compensate with the protein intake in the diet, and you figure it out. So there are other factors that might cause an alteration in your healthy plan. So let's say, for example, you are starting with a vegan food plan or a vegetarian food plan, and, and we know that those types of food plans are inherently quite healthy. But if you have a gluten intolerance, we would want to eliminate gluten. And if you also had a blood sugar issue, we would have to consider that. And if you are exercising or not exercising or are on certain medications, all of these factors would have to alter the food plan over the course of your lifestyle. We wouldn't, we wouldn't think that a baby, an infant over here, should eat the same as an adult over here. And through your lifestyle spectrum here, we would need to check in from time to time to make adjustments so that we know your eating uh, is uh, keeping pace with your aging process or exceeding your, your aging process in the sense that your repair is greater than your disrepair so you age much better. I do not eat in a way consistent with the average 55-year-old. That's not the appearance I want. That's not the health I want. It's not the life I want to lead. And by checking in the way that I do, I'm able to enjoy a very high level of physical health that is quite rare. Our next slide, I've listed several different types of uh, dietary plans. Of course, I have not uh, listed all of them, but just some of the major ones. And again, if you have questions about some that I might have eliminated or any question on any of the materials that I'm speaking about herein, I want you to email me at info at blooddetective.com. That's info at blooddetective.com. The last slide of the presentation does have my contact information. For those of you just joining us, I'm Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. You're in part one of a 12 or possibly 13 part series, master's course in health and nutrition. I promise you that if you can 
be present to each of these presentations, you will know far more, more reliable information, more practical information, just more correct information on how to deal with individuals by any of these weekend courses or even year-long nutrition online courses, which give you a, a book, booklet full of diets, which uh, does not help you apply to individuals. It's all about the individual, clearly, right? Okay, so on this first list here, I'm going to be very frank, let you know what I think about some of these food plans. So the blood type diet. You know, we have four blood types, like type A and type O, for example, and it was um, brought about uh, a few decades ago by Dr. Diadamo, who was a brilliant man, that there may be something to uh, your blood type and your food that you would consume consistent with the blood type for general health and well-being and particularly for weight loss. Now, I've had over three decades exposure to hundreds of people doing blood type diet. And I can tell you for a fact that even if they lose weight on this diet, when I look at the rest of their labs, they don't look good at all. So you don't want to be losing weight and actually hurting yourself. And you can't know if you are unless you check other chemistries. Blood type is one test. And unfortunately, there is no scientific evidence for its validity, not a single study. So some people might say, well, Dr. Wald, I've done the diet and you know, I lost weight and I felt great. Listen, I have people with cancer all over their bodies and they feel great. So how you feel is just not enough. You have to feel good and your chemistry has to actually look good, right? Makes sense. So blood type diet, I might consider it if someone says, well, can you consider my blood type in your recommendations? If they're consistent with everything else I'm looking at for that person, then yes, I can. And then there's a vegan, vegetarian, and plant-based diet. These are very similar, so I'm sticking them on, this, on the same line. Uh, these, of course, are um, dramatically healthy for a good amount of people. Uh, but over the decades, I've had many people sit in my office with a bag full of supplements describing the extremely rigid dietary plans that they have uh, been following for years and years, like they're vegans for years and years, vegetarians for years and years, uh, ketogenic for years and years, and they still have all of these health problems. Because once again, what does your blood detective common sense tell you? That it wasn't modified and based on that individual. And if it was initially, there was supposed to be some follow-up along the way. Look, you wouldn't do the same workout uh, every day if after several months or a few years, you weren't gaining results. You would have to change things up. The same thing here. And for those of you to say, that say to me, Dr. Wall, well, you know, um, do I have to eat this way um, the rest of my life? And I'll say it's not a have to. It's, it's a choice, a choice to eat this way and have a greater probability of being a healthy and an offsetting disease and all of these benefits that we spoke about earlier or not. So it's up to you. With me, I just know too much, meaning that I know the health benefits of modifying one's way of eating and adjusting it over time and enjoying a very high level of health. So I just look at my life and uh, there's, there's just no possibility of me not following ways of conducting myself like uh, how I eat because it, it allows me to live life the way that I want. So we need a compelling enough why. And if, and if you're not one of these individuals who seems to be um, you know, drops out on these diet and plants, I would suggest that you need a clearer model of what it is you want in your life, health-wise, happiness-wise, joy-wise, gratitude-wise. And once you clear on that and you get the connection between that and needing to be physically fit to do it, you might not even think about your eating anymore. I hardly think about 
what I'm eating because I've already modeled my life around how I want to do that. So it's already factored in. You want to make your way of eating a part of your routine so it's not an effort anymore. It's just something that you do. Same with exercise, as I've said a few times. And then there's the paleo diet. Don't get me started on this, but I'll just tell you this much. The paleo diet is absolute nonsense. Uh, do we have paleo, paleolithic ancestors and early hominids that ate in certain ways that were more primitive e eating uh, habits in terms of eating you know, more plant-based and, and fewer animal products? Of course, is that probably a healthy thing compared to what we're doing in the SAD or SAD American diet currently? Yes, I would agree on that. But early hominids, some of those hominids lived inland and they ate more animal products, let's say, some raw animal products, and then eventually they cooked it, at least partially. And then other hominids lived, let's say, on the shoreline, and they had much higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids in their diet because they fished. And th those ones that lived near the shore and ate more of the fish had higher omega-3 fats that allowed the brain to develop larger, the skulls were larger, they were more intelligent. Um, and then when we think about the migration of different peoples from all over the world and the interbreeding, even if there was some one way of eating way back when, which there clearly wasn't, uh, there isn't now because of all that intermixing. So that's why we have to start with some basics. Yes, and I think it's still true that uh, eating a plant-based diet is uh, the way to go, but some people need proteins uh, and they can't or choose not to get enough from animal products. So all of these different preferences make a big difference. So the paleo diet is just unrealistic. It doesn't exist. It never did exist. And certainly they didn't drink whey protein, which is a part of a lot of these paleo plans now. Uh, it's amazing to me how people buy into this stuff until I remind myself that this is all I think about. This is not what you, what you might think about all day long, so you can easily pick out nonsense. And then there's a the ketogenic diet. Well, that diet has some very, very important um, um, structure about it that is very important for people with neurological problems. So whether it's dementia, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, anything neurological at all, even pain, neuropathies, ketogenic diets that are high in ketones help the nervous system remodel itself and improve itself. It's also uh, famous for its use uh, for seizure activity, the ketogenic diet. So um, is this a diet that, um, well, I've certainly heard about how high ketones might help burn fat. And uh, the ketogenic concept is also part of the Atkins approach uh, with animal uh, protein being uh, very high in that diet, which uh, can increase your risk of cancer, heart attacks, kidney stones, gallbladder disease. Unfortunately, even Dr. Atkins himself died of a heart attack Probably he followed his own dietary plan because that would be very inconsistent. So we can make that assumption and then he sadly uh, died. So I would not um, say that a person should begin an Atkins diet. And if you're going to make your diet a uh, high uh, ketogenic, then you'd want to consume uh, healthy fats to do that. Um, for example, like medium chain triglycerides. But I mention it here because certain aspects of ketogenic foods or at least ketogenic nutritional supplements could be the way to go for a person. So let's say that you have blood sugar problems, blood pressure, blood fat problems, or any combination of those. We know that a ketogenic diet will help you lose weight. It might help you maintain your lean organ mass, which is a predictor of life and health span. And if you also had, let's say, uh, pain, chronic pain, uh, neurologic pain, neuropathic pain, then if I 
change the nutritional supplements you're taking or, or add nutritional supplements that include, let's say, as I mentioned, medium chain triglycerides, that will make you ketogenic enough to help your pain. You do not have to begin a ketogenic diet, which is nearly impossible to do anyway. And if you go to these ketogenic websites on Facebook, I mean, these are some of the most ignorant groups I've ever seen in terms of uh, thinking that they're going to gain health by eating, you know, bacon. Uh, this is not going to happen. Will they lose some weight in the short term? Sadly, yes, they will, which drives these people's behavior, but they just don't know enough. You do because you're listening to this. And then there's the blood detective diet. That's my diet. I am the self-proclaimed blood detective. A patient uh, called me that one day once I diagnosed his wife with a condition that was missed for years. He simply said, Dr. Wald, you're like a blood detective. And I said, hmm, I like that. I like that. Because a detective looks for clues. A detective puts things together. A good detective thinks of things holistically. And an excellent uh, detective can apply that knowledge to an individual to improve their health. We'll talk about the blood detective diet a little bit later. And um, the other commercial diets besides Atkins diet, none of them work. None of them work because they don't check the person's absorption. They do not start with a baseline lean body mass test. That's the body composition test. And you can, you know, all the famous uh, people from Oprah Winfrey to Christy Alley, and there's others that started on these commercials for these commercially based diets, and they all get thin, right? And then you see them after their, you know, their contracts run out, and they're all, they're all health, uh, fat again. So we know that they, these, aren't, these aren't good diets for people. And then there's hormone-based uh, dietary plans. Any food plan that you eat, any food that you eat will change your hormone levels instantly. Proteins, carbs, and fats do change your insulin. Insulin is a hormone. And that also may trigger glucagon production and or growth hormone and or testosterone production. So if you have hormonal issues or health problems that might, be, that might benefit from getting your hormones in line, we might have to start with that plant-based diet, whatever it is for you, whatever version we're starting with as a baseline, and we have to adjust it to take into account your hormonal health problems. So now your healthy diet is specific for you in that area. And if you happen to want to eliminate gluten, well, that would have to be eliminated, but other healthier proteins would have to be added because if they're not added, you'd be missing out. So I'm trying to explain here how your different personalized considerations go into determining what your healthy diet should be beyond the basics. And then we have an anti-inflammatory uh, diet. Now, we've all heard of that. It's just that the problem here is this. There are certain foods that are pro-inflammatory. For example, dairy products, sugar, um, refined white bread products, uh, certainly meat, which is uh, extremely high and one of the more inflammatory mediators that there is in our diet, known as arachidonic acid. So we know that, there's, that, that inflammation can be triggered by inf potentially inflammatory foods. The chemistry of inflammation Think of it as a language because it is a chemical language. And those inflammatory mediators, they trigger um, uh, the body to gain weight. So inflammation is a language to fat cells to stick around and get larger. And remember, we don't lose the number of fat cells when we lose weight or gain weight. We just change the size of the fat cell. So, but here's the, here's the catch. You might uh, have an inflammatory reaction to broccoli, 
and, and not to red meat somehow because of your particular constitution. So there really isn't a inflammatory diet per se. There is potentially inflammatory foods in, again, the standard American diet, all the bad foods that we can all agree are generally bad, and we would want to eliminate or minimize those for sure. But I would take a much closer look at what foods people are eating and measure inflammatory markers in the blood, for example, or in the urine that would let me know for them what's inflammatory and what is not. And that might get the person's health to a certain level. But then again, they might, we might need alterations in their food plan to make it more specific for them. Um, I think you get the, uh, get the gist there. And then our last bullet on this page is gluten-free diet. So again, if you have actual celiac disease, which is a genetic condition where a person uh, malabsorbs because their immune system reacts adversely to, the, uh, to gluten. So they eat gluten, their immune system says, we don't like that protein structure of gluten. We're going to go for it with antibodies. Antibodies are made by the body, but they're anti the body. That's why they call them antibodies, and they promote more inflammation. Um, and then the gluten proteins look similar to the proteins in the white matter of the brain and can trigger multiple sclerosis, for example, or trigger most commonly a skin condition known as dermatitis herpetiformis. And second most commonly, gluten-sensitive people, particularly celiacs, will have thyroid issues because it triggers the formation of antibodies against one's thyroid. We're talking about gluten now. And gluten can also degenerate the area of the brain in the back of the head, uh, causing cerebellar ataxia, uh, problems with walking. And we know that these things happen with gluten. They're, they're, they're in every medical school education. What's not in every medical school education is what's called non-celiac gluten intolerance, which is a condition of having gluten intolerance and having problems, but uh, it is uh, completely fixable and repairable. You can eventually eat the gluten again if you can fix those uh, mechanisms in the body that reacted poorly to it. Um, with the use of probiotics, the use of enzymes in very precise ways can help reduce gluten intolerance dramatically. And in terms of the blood detective diet, um, this is a plan of uh, well, what I call common sense diet, blood detective common sense diet, where we want to fix whatever biochemistry is off for that patient. So fix, find and fix whatever the patient needs, which should help their overall needs. So here we go. Bullet number one. Uh, it's based on health, on health history and health goals. So if you come to me and you say that I want to lose this weight, I want to be able to go hiking every day, and I don't want to emotionally eat. Uh, so these are factors that go into me figuring out how a person should eat. And then, uh, so these are their goals. Bullet number two, based upon several dozen lab parameters, unlike the, the blood type diet that's just one parameter, the blood detective diet considers dozens of uh, aspects of your chemistry in the blood, sometimes in the saliva and almost always in the urine. And whatever is abnormal, I prescribe the right nutrition and, your supp and supplementation, uh, making sure that those lab values start to correct themselves. That means the body is correcting itself and can self-regulate um, the percentage of muscle, water, and fat on the body such that there's more lean mass retention. Lean mass burns fat, lean mass is your organs and your muscle. The more you have of those two things, the greater your health span, remember?
Of course you do. <laughs> and then bullet number four, the blood detected plan or any worthwhile health plan, food plan should focus on every abnormal test relative to the person's health goals, whether it be weight loss, health, um, or I should say disease prevention, health build, uh, building and maintenance, and maybe um, athleticism. Uh, these are just some of the factors. And when I developed the blood detective diet plan, I wanted to make sure that it also um, targeted certain fundamental problems uh, that get in the way of um, our uh, disease-free disease life, really, or, or at least a life that holds off or delays the early onset of disease so we can enjoy that health span. And that means it must consider as a last bullet inflammation. It must be anti-inflammatory. And we talked about how that's an individually based thing, but there is a way to figure that out. It uh, also considers hormonal issues. Look, anyone uh, older than 30 has all sorts of hormonal issues, whether or not you realize it or not. The most common of which probably is the decline in dehydroepiandosterone or DHEA, which is made by the adrenal glands. And when the adrenal glands at around age 30, when that DHA value starts to tank, the body tends to gain more fat. It doesn't control inflammation as well. Uh, arteries start to harden, cholesterol levels start to go up, blood pressure starts to go up, blood glucose control gets off. All in the background are a bunch of hormonal changes that are not, not positive ones. Also, the blood detective diet, the way I manage it relative to you or any other person I see, must consider nutritional deficiencies nutritional excesses, nutritional insufficiencies. So look, you know what a nutritional deficiency is? If I say that you're deficient in vitamin C, then that means you don't have enough. But what if you're not deficient, but you need twice as much as everyone else because of the stress in your life? Then you would be insufficient. So we want to optimize nutritional intake and identify any insufficiencies as well as any nutritional supplement and or food uh, deficiencies, meaning the components in those foods and supplements are insufficient, deficient, or somehow not exactly right for your for your health needs. Your overall lifestyle must be considered. Uh, what are your sleep patterns? Um, what are your exercise patterns? Uh, what type of work do you do? Um, how hard do you work? All of these factors are clearly just basic. And we always, 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 when we're, when we're dealing with a healthy diet, that healthy diet must maintain a healthy lean body mass relative to percentage of water weight and fat weight on the body. And that's where a body composition test comes in. You'll see that in the last bullet here. And I've mentioned it many times on my Ask the Blood Detective show. You need to start out with the body composition so that when you lose weight, you know that you're losing it from the right places. And it'll be much more long-term weight loss simply because you haven't um, given up the lean, the lean mass, which is what really runs the show. I'll have patients say to me, Dr. Wald, I'm, I'm a little concerned because ever since I've seen you, it's been two weeks now, I've gained three pounds. You know, why is that? I say, well, you know, are your clothes fitting about the same? They'll say, well, no, I, I think they're, they're, they're fitting a little more loosely. Um, I'll say, okay, listen, we'll do the body composition. Let's see what it shows us. And generally speaking, if they follow the, body, the blood detective uh, diet plan correctly, which is a food plan based on fundamental needs, fundamental concepts in healthy diet, like eating lower down in the food chain, the blood detective plan takes it several steps further by looking at many more tests and looking at far more individual factors to, to make sure that this food plan works and is doable.
Okay. And of course, last but not least, we always want, at least I always want a um, absorption screening lab test because if you start out on a food plan where you're eating and you don't know what you're absorbing from what you're eating, then that's a problem. And I rarely see this with my patients. So when they come in to me and they sit in front of me and they say to me, you know, Dr. Wald, I've done a lot of different food plans, but I cannot keep the weight off. You know, what's going on? I'll say, well, you might be malabsorbing. So you're inconsistently absorbing and utilizing differently your food is causing a lot of metabolic confusion. And then we check that the fact that they may malabsorb, let's say by, you know, 33%. If I factor that in my suggestions, that's how you get results with a person. You're thorough. You are a, you're acting as your own personal, personal blood detective to figure these sorts of things out. And now you can have a lot of the basic concepts, which I'm uh, illuminating here, and I hope that I'm being effective um, here, uh, that you can apply to yourself and others. And these food pyramid differences, I mentioned earlier, I just want to reemphasize something here, that they do have many of the fundamentals that we're talking about that are healthy. We always want to keep in mind all of those individual uh, specifics, like I outlined on the last slide uh, that I include in the blood detective plan, but we also want to look at the ethnicity of that individual insofar as that ethnicity alters how that person eats uh, as part of their, uh, their customs. And then making sure things fit, because that's a way to help ensure success. I'm not one of these practitioners that merely, merely recommends difficult things to do, a zillion supplements, extremely limited dietary options, which creates neuroticism, stress, and tension, which is entirely counterproductive. I mean, who does that? <laughs> they do it. All right. So let's talk about the 10 best foods, at least according to Harvard and the uh, My Pyramid guidelines. Uh, basically, uh, we'll review those in one second. I just want to point out a few things here. Um, Bullet number two, the, the, the 10 most best foods by Harvard are not necessarily your 10 most best, but I just thought that you should know about them. And they are high in fiber, vitamins, minerals, and other phytonutrients. And phytonutrients and antioxidants are very important for a myriad of health processes in the body. The research is just overwhelming. And also this My Pyramid plan, as basic as it is, even that plan, with all of its faults and not being individualized, does help reduce the risk of heart disease and probably cancer and arthritis as well. And it's uh, low in caloric density and high in nutrition. Here are those 10 top healthy foods. You can see here too, almonds, if we do eat them, we want them to be raw. Apples, blueberries, broccoli, red beans, salmon, spinach, sweet potatoes, vegetable juices, wheat germ, and taking a multivitamin. Do I believe that people should take vitamins? Uh, do I believe that the diet is adequate um, for optimizing nutrition? No, I do not believe the diet is adequate no matter how you manipulate the diet. And yes, I believe people should take not only a multivitamin because when a woman and a man take just a multivitamin, that alone increases their lifespan by years. But if you give them activated multivitamin plus whatever other nutrients they need for their chemistry, well, you're just, you're just going to the next level. And here what we have is, well, how do you figure out um, what people actually need? Well, number one, 
we need to be mindful of this statement, which I've, I've said earlier, you are not what you eat, but what you absorb from what you eat. So we need to do an absorption test right off the bat. We need to do a body composition test right off the bat. I do have patients that prefer not to do testing, and I have found that my 30 plus years of um, experience and knowledge uh, is enough uh, for many people without doing a bunch of tests. But doing these sorts of tests really does give us information that we really can't guess. Again, if you're losing weight, even for the long term, but we don't know if there's a lean mass retention associated with your efforts, well, that, that's something you'd want to know because then you can really know if you have a, a, a strong probability of having increased your health span and possibly your lifespan. It's great that you're feeling better. We want that always. So for example, if I check your bone density um, and you have osteopenia or osteoporosis, well, your food plan has to change. And believe me, adding a bunch of calcium to your food plan is not going to fix your osteoporosis or osteopenia, and it's way too limited. So for example, when bone loses nutrition and bone is mostly protein with mostly calcium sort of bricks in that protein, then magnesium and silica and boron and strontium, uh, you can then adjust nutritionally the needs of the person on top of their other needs because bone density is a test, just like a blood test. So whatever tests I do with people, and I commonly do bone density tests if you're 50 years or older, and I use ultrasound, not radiation, I find that there is bone loss and that information has to be included in their healthy food plan. So their healthy food plan is, has just been altered to manage something particular, bone density, about that individual. Now, if there are 50 things that the tests show that are particular for you, then those must be included in the general concept of our healthy diet guidelines, okay? And then the blood tests. Well, blood tests as well, just reveal more than if you don't do blood tests. So why would you see a practitioner of nutrition who does not have license and education to read lab tests? Now, if your nutritionists are reading lab tests, but they don't have license to read lab tests, you can bet they're reading them wrong and should not be reading them. In fact, that's out of scope of their practice and is not allowed. You want qualified people reading lab work. Now, here's just a, a a combination of tests that I like to do with some people, but I don't do the same tests on every person. So sometimes a new patient will say, Dr. Wald, I'm gonna to go to my primary before I see you, can I get all the tests on there? And I say, well, you can get some tests on there and, and I'll give them a list. But until I sit down with them for about an hour, I won't know what they actually need. So as you can see, we need to base things on the individual. So homocysteine, C-reactive protein, ferritin, vitamin D3, Zinc, these are really important for overall health and well-being. Homocysteine will let us know if the person has enough protein in the diet and also whether or not the individual uses, okay? Not has enough of as a level, but actually utilizes folic acid, B12, B6, vitamin C, E, and B1 in that order if someone's homocysteine level is high. So even with the cleanest diet, if someone's homocysteine level is above a seven, it's too high. Even though an eight, nine, and a 10 is still in the normal range, we know any values over seven still add to disease risk and we can lower it down further, at least the potentials there. So I always like to run that test along with C-reactive protein, which is an inflammatory test. We wanna see inflammation going down to know that our efforts really make a difference. The same with ferritin. Ferritin is a different type of inflammatory test, tells me different nutritional information. 
Vitamin D3 is an anti-inflammatory agent. It's a pro-hormone. Uh, it's involved in so many reactions and, it's, and uh, so many diseases are reduced when vitamin D is in an optimal range. The optimal number is a 70. Anywhere from 70 to 100 is where you want to be with your blood test. Even if your doctor says 50 is fine or 35 is fine, that is, that's incorrect. That's incorrect. So depending upon the conversation that I have with a patient, I'm jotting down, I'm taking notations of what nutrients, what foods, what lifestyle factors I feel are ideal for that individual. And then I develop a test plan for them. And then we run those tests. And then usually it takes a week or two to get those results back. And then we sit down along with questionnaires and a detailed health conversation, including current health problems and health um, uh, goals and preferences, along with the labs. We put them together and voila, you have something personalized for you. I really believe that writing the book on the individual, because usually the notes that I have and the information I've figured out is like a book, <laughs> uh, but there's no, that's not a book you'll find on the shelves in a bookstore or on Amazon or wherever else you download books. We have to write it for you and change it over time as you change throughout your lifestyle process. I mentioned earlier hormonal considerations. They are extremely important for everyone when dealing with a healthy life and anti-aging plan. According to Harvard, actually, they've determined, I think they're a little behind the rest of us in natural health, though, that aging is a curable disease. It is not a normal human response, meaning, of course, we age, but most of us are not aging naturally. We're not aging as we should. And the health issues and problems that we tend to uh, label as, oh, that's just aging, are concomitant with aging. They're happening along with aging, but they're not healthy aging. So we can now say we can affect anti-aging, meaning turning back the biological clock. We can't change how old you are in, you know, in chronological years, but biologically, we absolutely can. And then the body composition, can I mention this anymore? <laughs> now, I mentioned that it measures your percentage of muscle, water, and fat, but it also measures something called phase angle. I've done an entire hour show on phase angle. You can look that up at my website at drmichaelwall.com. You'll find that under the blog section. If you don't see it there for any reason, just search any topic you'd like on the homepage under the search bar, and you'll come up with tons of um, free uh, materials that will talk about body composition and any other topic probably that you want. So it's important that we know our phase angle because the higher the phase angle, generally the lower our risk of many diseases. And this is key, phase angle is a very important test because if you're doing your health thing and your phase angle increases, that means that you are improving the energetics of your cells because that's what phase angle measures. I won't go into phase angle anymore other than saying you want to have it as part of, your, as part of your body composition test to know that you're really improving the energetics of your cells, which only happens when cells are generally in better health. So you want to have that happen. You don't want to have weight loss and even feeling good with a lower phase angle. That means it's not going to last and it's not good. But here's the key thing about phase angle that, you, that I want to leave you with. If you do the phase angle and the value is high, anywhere between about a nine and 11, you have done something remarkable for your overall health and well-being. It's actually showing you that what you're doing is really working for you, as opposed to just thinking it's working for you. And how do you determine one's uh, you know, best diet? Well, first of all, here's how I do it. 
I review a person's uh, food intake between one and three weeks, depending on the person and the information that I feel that I need. I'll always want to know what their food likes are, their dislikes. Do they have any allergies, which involves the immune system's adverse reaction to a food? And that could be, that could be a plant-based food, you know. If you have a pro-inflammatory reaction to almonds, well, that's not a healthy food for you. You also might just have digestive enzyme and acid problems. So those are called intolerances. They look like allergies clinically, but they don't evoke an immune response, but they still need attention. And then uh, food preferences. If you like certain foods, and some of those foods are the foods I think you should be having, we're going to emphasize those and de-emphasize other ones. So it's important to have an initial dietary plan, a healthy food plan, healthy life plan or longevity plan, and then to check that later and uh, see how you're doing because people tend to drop things out and adjustments need to be made. The bullet number two, we want baseline blood work, including tests of absorption and malabsorption, and we want to functionally interpret testing. We're going to have a whole one-hour conversation on how you can interpret laboratory work, even normal laboratory work, and pull out the hidden meaning, the hidden nutritional meaning from that, which is right in front of you and right in front of your physicians, but they don't have the training to see it. You know, it's like not having an appreciation for art and someone shows you this amazing Mona Lisa and you're like, yeah, well, you know, she's not my type. Um, you know, you can see how your education reflects upon the world and, and, and what you get out of it. So we want to have these functional tests. Not only do you have normal vitamin C levels, that's not a functional test. That's just the level. Function means that you know something about how the nutrient is working. There are functional tests available, like how well vitamin C is working in your body as opposed to you have enough of it. And that's really important, not just vitamin C, I'm using that as an example, but very important for our overall health and well-being. And then again, we want that body composition test. Oh, wait a second, wait a second. Before I go to body comp, when we're talking about these tests, so many of you have come to see me and they've said, Dr. Wald, I'd like to do all the vitamin tests, and then I say the truth. Many vitamin tests, B1, B2, B3, B5, B6, vitamin C, zinc, other ones, magnesium, testing these in the plasma or the serum only tell you the intake of these nutrients from your diet or supplements for about three to four days. That's it. They don't, they don't tell you long-term nutritional deficiencies, nutritional excesses, or nutritional insufficiencies. So that's why if I want to know if you're using folic acid and B12 correctly, I'm going to look at the size of a red blood cell because a large macrocytic, macros large red blood cell usually means if you don't have cancer or cholesterol over 300, which can cause macrocytosis, which is a fancy word for large cells, you probably have a folic acid deficiency first, more commonly, secondly, uh, B12 deficiency, um, and then B6, vitamin C, E, and B1. When you give the right amount of those nutrients to the person, the right combinations with the right synergism, the cells shrink. So it's a functional assessment. Your blood levels might be higher than average, but that higher than average, if it fixes this functional test is what you need. Again, comparing yourself to the average is just comparing yourself to the average. We want to compare you to healthy and we want to compare, you, compare your laboratory tests and your health and your efforts and your results to yourself over time. Then, uh, once again, body composition keeps coming up. That test has got to be done. Not all body composition tests, technologies, and instrumentation are the same. So generally speaking, if you see a licensed healthcare provider who has the ability to draw laboratory work, 
they generally have the better types of equipment that are medical grade body composition tests and not commercial grade. It's almost the difference between an over-the-counter medication, let's say an acid, and one that's prescribed. Generally speaking, the ones that are prescribed are much more potent or correct. Not saying you should take uh, over-the-counter antacids. And then we want to complete medical and health history so we can get clear on goals. And again, when I look at the lab work, the, the second to last bullet, we want to know how you compare to the healthy ranges. The ranges of blood results for your glucose and your cholesterol and magnesium, all the other tests, they're comparing you to average men or women in your age group, not healthy. If I compare you to healthy, you're of course going to have more abnormalities because I'm comparing you to the best of the best. But we're going to shoot for that. We might not reach that entirely, but we might get here as opposed to settling for just average, okay? And we wanna reassess your progress and make adjustments as we move along. So for those of you, again, who joined me today, I wanna to thank you. And I wanna just go to the last slide so you have my contact information, which is here. Okay, so you can reach me at 552-1442. And um, again, any questions or concerns and your, your thoughts and feelings about this presentation and ways that I can improve it, please let me know what those are um, and by emailing them to me at info at blooddetective.com. Uh, uh, the website again is drmichaelwall.com. And again, I wanna thank you so much for spending time with me today. Be well.